0: Amen. Amen. All right. Good job. Good job. That's the first time I've sung standing on the promises of God while sitting on my laurels. (laughs) So awesome. I brought my political little thing here tonight since we're talking politics. Hey, it's good to see you tonight and uh, thank you for being here. I know they are going to be counting to see how we're doing, uh, how, how you're doing, how we're doing. Uh, for missions in just a little bit. We'll get an update on our total, but thank you for coming out. I have missed this. This is, man, I'm ready to get back to some some fellowship, and okay, I'll be honest. I'm ready to get back to the food, too. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. So tonight, we're going to talk about uh, politics and being a Christian, uh, and do they mix? Uh, there's a lot of different opinions out there, uh, and Amen. Amen. I agree with that wholeheartedly, 100%. Uh, I want to go ahead and tell you, though, let's just identify the word politics, first of all, so you know what we're talking about. It comes from two words, poly, meaning many, and "ticks," meaning blood-sucking leeches. That's not my joke. That's my friend Mike Williams, our missionary in the Dominican. So I thought I'd start with that. But no, we we uh, there's a lot of questions that come to mind when you think about politics and you think about uh, the church. Um, does politics mean a separation of church and state? Um, does a Christian really have any place in politics? Uh, have we gotten, as Christians, maybe too involved in politics? Uh, these are some questions that have even come to me by text and email over the last year. Some people say we should vote and some people say... Our citizenship is not in this world, so why should we even waste our time voting? So is there really a right way for a Christian to engage in politics? And I think there is. I think the Bible tells us how to do that. and We're going to look at that briefly uh, tonight. Some people ask, if God is sovereign and controls the heart of our leaders and our kings, and Proverbs 21 talks about that, then why should we risk compromising our witness uh, for Christ by getting involved in something that is divisive? Because as you know, and especially over the last few years, politics seems to have gotten even more divisive. Some people say that Christians ought to be heavily involved in politics and and try to make a difference. Some people say, hey, if we're going to complain about the darkness, then why don't we at least turn on the light? So you've got all these kind of different opinions. And um, one of the things that I would say to us is that Christians over the last uh, 30 years especially, have, um, we've really given up our place in the public square. And because of that, we've lost a seat at the table when it comes to speaking in the arenas of uh, entertainment and music and I would say politics. Uh, I thought about, when I was thinking about this tonight, I thought I'd share this story with you guys. I was sitting in Nashville, Tennessee. This would have been uh, this would have been in 2000, uh, what year were you? Probably about 2006. And at that point in time in my life, we were, we were uh, part of a radio ministry. We were in Nashville for a big conference and we were interviewing different Christian music artists. And sitting across from us in our little rec- uh, broadcasting booth was this young girl named Katie Hudson. And we started to ask her different questions, and she started to talk about how she was treated, even in the quote unquote Christian industry. And uh, she hinted that I probably won't be doing this too long. Uh, I'm going to pack my bags and move to California. And she did. And she's now one of the judges on American Idol. Her name is Katy Perry. And largely, she relinquished the opportunity that she had to make a difference in the Christian music world because there wasn't really a place for her. Um, And so, uh, my concern for us as Christians is if we forsake our place where we can make a difference... What will step into that spot? What will step into that void? So how do we navigate that and what does God's Word have to say to it? I thought I'd start tonight by just sharing some quotes that I've come across through the wonderful world of social media. Uh, Some of them are scary. And some of them are from people who watch us, again, as believers, what we post. Uh, One person said, It's painful to see the church in America follow the national discourse. In my social media feeds, I've witnessed church members tear each other apart over politics, forgetting that we are committing spiritual cannibalism, I like that, as we choose partisanship over unity in Jesus. Somebody else says, perhaps the most troubling thing I see is that many Christians now seem more certain of their political opinions than they are of Christ and His kingdom somebody else said, as each camp believes that its viewpoint is foolproof, perceptions of and accusations toward the other side become increasingly brazen, graceless, and prone to nuance-free caricature. The last, last quote I saw said this, for some on the right, any pastor who speaks about social justice is immediately labeled a Marxist. And any pastor, for some on the left, Any pastor who slightly defends the past administration or even just uh, holding a baby of a different ethnicity exposes his white supremacy. So for us as leaders in the church, and I would say all of us, but especially for us who are leaders in the church, it's a fun uh, road to navigate in the culture in which we live and yet again, God's Word has a lot to say about it. As a matter of fact, I just thought for grins, I would print out scriptures that have to do with politics just to see how many pages I would find that God's Word has stuff to say about politics. And uh, God, God's Word has a lot to say about politics, in case you're wondering. Obviously, we're not going to get to all these scriptures tonight, so don't worry. But if you want a copy, I'll make you a copy. You read some things in God's Word, though, and you'll read something that might make you think that the Bible is over here on a topic, and then you read something else and it might sound like the Bible is over here on a topic. Let me give you an example. Psalm 33, 12, David says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Then Matthew says, Tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. But then you have Paul in Philippians, says this, Philippians chapter 3, Our citizenship is in heaven. So if you don't really understand the whole context of the Bible, again, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say to fit your belief system, but you have to really see what the Bible says as a whole. And it scares me because a lot of times we in the church aren't necessarily even sure what the Bible says, so we come up with our own opinion. And here are some opinions that I came across. 22% of evangelicals strongly or somewhat agree that being civil in political conversations is not productive. 25% said insulting personal remarks about an opponent are justified when they come from a candidate they like. 47% strongly or somewhat strongly agree that they prefer to follow or befriend people who share their political opinion. Nearly 6 in 10 self-identified evangelicals strongly agree that if people they disagree with were in charge, that the democracy would be in great danger seems like a lot of evangelical church, Christian, pastoral type leaders uh, sometimes are more often quoted talking about controversial issues like politics than they are about quoting things that would point people to Jesus Christ. So we live in an interesting, interesting day. Some say politics is defiled and the political uh, involvement for us as believers is totally inappropriate. Um. You might hear that camp say, just do evangelism, just share Jesus, and don't get involved in the politics. But upon closer examination of Scripture, we find out that the Bible teaches, as as it did last week when we talked about divorce, as it did the week before when we talked about homosexuality, the Bible teaches not a middle-of-the-road approach, but a balanced approach to understanding what's going on. One that incorporates how we're supposed to live, in the world in which we find ourselves. One that acknowledges that a Christian worldview has much to say and can have much impact on our world. Um, one that acknowledges that if, that though we are citizens in heaven, we are citizens in this country and we have a civic responsibility if we're following after the mandates of scripture. One that understands because voting is also a matter of stewardship. you You and I, Uh, For most of us, we were born in this country, we have the opportunity to vote and make a difference. So there are a lot of different opinions, and here's what I've discovered as I've read over this the last several weeks. Scripture neither advocates a total withdrawal, throw the baby out with the bathwater, run away from politics type attitude, nor does it condone an overinvestment into it. Scripture has a balanced approach to how we're supposed to live. So let's look at a couple of principles tonight in the short amount of time that we have. In the first passage, and there's, there's many, again, there's, there's, there's a lot. But the two primary passages people talk about when they talk about politics, the first one's in Romans chapter 13. And Paul talks a lot about, about that. Actually, I think most of the chapter is about it. But let's look at that together. Romans chapter 13, just the first The first few verses, here's what Paul says Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Let that sink in a little bit. It's a hard pill for some of us, including this guy, to swallow when we look at what's going on in our country. Is God surprised? Is God worried because some person won and some person didn't win? No. Is my faith in the political system? You've heard me say before, it's not. It's in Jesus. And Paul even reminds us this. And by the way, Paul didn't write this in 2018 or 2019. A long time ago, right? Verse 2, he says, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, let's stop for just a minute. Because I don't know about you, but I was talking to somebody already tonight. And the last year has been, uh, the staff we've shared this with you has been highly frustrating. Because you have government mandating, especially in the pandemic that we've been in, things that we're to do and not do. And then you have God's word says things like, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So how do, you, how do you navigate that? You navigate it with wisdom and you navigate it with balance. And you look at the whole counsel of God's word and you can't pick or choose a verse that fits the specific moment that you're in. And so, although God is sovereign, the first I would just want to share a few principles with you. The first one I wrote down is, although God is sovereign, He chooses to use human governments to carry out His will in the civil sphere of life. That's the way that our world is set up. He says this if you keep reading in Romans 13. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Verse 3. Do you, want to be, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For if he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, that's that's a mouthful. Basically, what Paul is saying is God in his sovereignty, if we trust and we believe God is sovereign, and I I believe God is sovereign. I don't believe we're in God's plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, I don't believe that. I believe we're in God's plan A. I may not like it, but God allowed it to happen. Nothing happens that God does not allow it to happen. Yes, we have free will in the midst of that. Ask me to explain that, I cannot explain it. it start, my brain starts hurting because my brain is so finite. I can't comprehend how God could be sovereign. And one of the most popular questions that I get is, why does bad things happen to good people? If God is sovereign, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, because God gave us the freedom in His huge uh, blessing. He gave us the freedom to have free will to make decisions. And because we're flawed, we don't always make great decisions. So anything bad that happens, we can wag our finger and say it's God. But most of the time, if you trace its origin, it's going to go back to humanity, fallen man. So although God is sovereign, He does choose to use human governments to carry out His plan. If you, if you back up to the book of Genesis, which we've looked at a lot, it's interesting. Uh, I'm praying, and you guys pray for me, that probably... I don't know if we'll do it in the fall or we will start January of 2022... I like to plan and study ahead and not wait to the last minute. And on Sunday morning, like at 9.15, figure out what I'm going to preach. I don't like to do that. I like to plan ahead. Uh, But I'm thinking that next year, maybe, possibly the fall, but probably January, we're going to go through the book of Genesis. Because if you don't understand how God ordained and set up things, even the things we talked about the last two weeks from biblical sexuality and divorce, and ordination of the family, that's God's idea. Uh, Government, that's God's idea. All these things are God's idea from the beginning. Then 2,000 plus years on this side of all that, uh, you don't understand exactly what God's trying to accomplish. Genesis 9 says this, verses 5. He reminds us that God provides... General authorization for action even against murderers. Here's what he says. Surely your lifeblood I would demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God is talking in this passage and explaining in his conversation with Noah... The, really the beginning of setting up government and punishments and right and wrong and punishment for doing wrong and all those things which go back to government, it, it talks about uh, how to administer justice. So we know that God, God's idea was government, government was God's idea. And so we have to engage with our world and engage with our government in a way as Christians and believers is consistent with realizing it's God's purpose. So that's kind of one principle I would just say to file away for just a second. Here's the second one. The reason we should care about politics, because some people say Christians should stay out of politics. The reason we should care about politics is because the Bible as a whole gives example after example after example of how God's people engaged in politics, some for a particular season and a particular time, um, as a whole approach to ministry. Let me just mention a few of them. You'll, you'll know some of these I think about Joseph. I think about Daniel. They served in foreign administrations and they used their influence, the power of God working in their life, they used their influence to implement policies that actually benefited society. In the case of Joseph, of course, it was a huge famine. It was a pandemic. Worldwide, I mean, people were hungry, they were starving. You think about Esther. The book of Esther, Esther chapter 8. Queen Esther, she used her influence in the, in the Persian uh, government to save the Jewish people from a state-sanctioned genocide. Think about Jeremiah. He instructed the exiles in Babylon to seek the welfare of a new city. Jeremiah chapter 29. I mean, on and on. First Peter 2.11 says, We are sojourners, and we are exiles in this world. But if you read all of 1 Peter... It says, nevertheless, we are citizens of the city of man as well as citizens of the city of God. So in some respects, we walk through this life kind of like this. I mean, we're kind of straddling the fence of this world and the world where our citizenship really is. And it's difficult because even in the church sometimes, to be honest, and I've told you guys over these, these few weeks, I'll say things I probably wouldn't say in a normal service. And I know they're being recorded and edited, which is good. Uh, but I said I would share some things with you this week, being honest, because this has been a, this has been a, a struggle. I see, just like you do, I, I have kids growing up in this world. I, you know, I freak out sometimes. But I have to remind myself, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. And the other thing that I think about often, uh, I was thinking about this today, just scanning the radio, uh, going home from church this morning. I think, and I've been to a lot of countries, and I do think we live in the best country on the planet. That's my opinion. But that doesn't mean that God is only the God of America. God is the God of the planet. And so if I have friends come visit America, and maybe even come visit our church, and I'm glad we don't do this. I don't know if we ever did this. We probably didn't. I've been in some churches, let me give you an example, that will say the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I'm going to make you think here, and you might disagree with me, and that's okay. I'm not necessarily saying that I'm right, because I'm processing this. But if I ask someone from another country that's a believer and they come visit a service and our church doesn't do this but I've been in some where even during the service we'll have a pledge of allegiance now let's think about it just a second just stretch stretch your brain a minute with me a pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America to the republic for which it stands i used to say in We'll edit this out later. I used to say, to the Republicans, when I was three years old, when I would say it. To the Republic, for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, liberty, and justice for all. If I say that, and I have a believer who loves Jesus, that's from their country, what am I saying to them? Because they, if I was in their country, the Dominican, Malawi, wherever I'm at, they might have their flag because they are just as patriotic maybe and they love their country as much as I do. So am I maybe, I'm, I'm processing this, okay? I haven't landed anywhere yet. But maybe I am somewhat being divisive because I am pointing to this is where my allegiance is when I know in my heart that's really not true if I'm a child of God. My allegiance is to Jesus. Jesus. You may say, well, the allegiance is not really the same thing as my allegiance to God. That's different. Maybe so. Hopefully so. I've been challenged on this the last couple years, because if I'm pledging my allegiance to something other than God, and this is where a lot of people who are outside the church and some of our younger folks that I've talked to in and out of the church get a little fearful when they watch, I'll, I'll use me, when they watch me, who's a little older, and my passion for our country, because I have been to other countries, and I have seen poverty, and I have seen the way their governments operate, and our government needs a lot of help. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But compared to other places, I still would say, okay, ours is awesome. But if I get not necessarily too patriotic, maybe, maybe you can get too patriotic, I don't know. But if I ring that bell louder than the bell of my citizenship is in heaven. That's where people outside that don't know Jesus start to get concerned. And rightly so, they start to wonder. Well, is this a Biden church or a Trump church or a Ted Cruz church, church? Or is it a Jesus church? That's where we have to be careful. And I think in our culture, what's happened is... Largely among us as Christians, we've crossed the line. And trust me, I've done a lot of study. And again, I'm processing. Like I said this morning, don't take everything one of the pastors says as gospel. You go home and look at the word yourself and study. Come up with your own conviction. But I think a lot of the world has watched that happen. And again, a lot of the younger generation that I've talked to, they basically have said, if, if that's really where your allegiance lies more with your country and your political party, then I'm not sure I'm understanding what Christianity that I've been brought up to believe is really about, because you're confusing me. So we have to be careful and balanced. Because I say all that, and then on the other hand, we have all those evidences in the scripture of people God used in the political environment to change their world. So a couple other principles and then some suggestions for us how do we how do we live in this world two more kind of principles one we can never equate the church's mission with a political party the mission of our church particular and the church general has nothing to do with a political party it's to go into all the world and preach the gospel that's our mission Not to preach Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian. That's not our mission. Our mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we can't can't miss what our mission is. We can't equate our mission with the platform of a political party. On the other hand, see this is a really complicated issue. On the other hand, if there are people who are promoting a worldview and an unbiblical stance we as the church have to speak up and say what the Bible says, with love, the truth in love. So we can't forget the last principle I would just say. You can't forget what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 13, that the government is ordained by God to promote good and to restrain evil. And as much as I read that chapter and I just kind of go, oh, God, I'm trying to wrap my head around how this is true right now in the present moment. I have to assume that God's word is true because I know it's true, not just when I feel like it's true. And his word in those verses in Romans 13, Paul is saying to us that God has authorized the government in verses 4 and 5. He has authorized the government to wield the sword of justice. Sometimes it does a good job and sometimes obviously not so much, not so much. So I think for me, and you need to come up with your own convictions on this, we have to have a balanced approach. And I also think we can't abandon the political landscape and just assume, well, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. But last time I checked, God uses people. And we've got all those people, just a handful that I mentioned, there's a lot more I could have mentioned if we had time, of people in the Bible that God used in their political environment to make a difference. So my prayer is that out of this church, there will be some people who will be led into politics. Not for a job, but for a ministry. That God will use people in this church to go into politics, that he will use them in the music arena and the entertainment arena. And one of the reasons that most of us as Christians complain about what comes out at the box office is because there's very few Christians that we have encouraged with those kind of giftings to go out and make movies that will bring glory to God. And I know personally some of the guys who do that who make movies, some of which have been popular in the last few years among Christian circles. And those guys have sold and remortgaged their house two, three, four, five times to get enough money to produce stuff like that. And the reason why is because we don't support it. And then we wonder why Hollywood is so successful at publishing the junk that they, and producing the junk that they produce. So we can't neglect our role. And you think about this, one of the guys I read this week, he he made this comment, and this is so good. I'd never thought of it like this before. He said, Given the United States' far-reaching influence in the world, how can American Christians love the people of other nations well without having a vested interest in how our government approaches the issue of religious liberty and human rights worldwide? Fantastic question. I'd never thought about that. When you travel the other parts of the planet, and you go to other countries, and I haven't been to a lot, but I've been to a handful, and you all know I go a lot to the Dominican and to Africa, and I'll just tell you, they look at us like we're all that. Anything America does, they copy. Our response to the virus, they did the same exact thing. Not because any Dominican doctor or anybody with intelligence told them to. They just heard through the grapevine, through social media, and on the news. This is what America does. We gotta do what America does. We've got to do what America does, because those countries are watching us. And what's scary is if we neglect our influence in the political landscape, and some of these things that are being pushed, especially right now by the administration, and things have been pushed wrong and incorrectly by the Republicans and Democrats. So. But the things that are being pushed right now, if we sit back and say nothing, it's not just America that's on the line. So I would just say, let's open our eyes, because it's almost prideful if we just kind of say, well, this is really going to change America. No, it's going to have more far-reaching consequences than that. It's going to impact the whole planet, because most of the countries of the world look to the United States, especially the third world and undeveloped nations, they look and they watch to see what we're going to do. Think about this. I'd never thought about this before. I'm telling you, the Lord slapped me around the last couple of weeks reading studying some of this stuff. Christians who support missionaries should care about the state of international religious freedom, because it's an area of advocacy in which the U.S. exerts significant influence. So if you have friends, and some of you do, and I do, who are missionaries in other countries, as goes America, so goes with their work. If America crashes and burns, or America decides we're going to fund abortion around the globe, they're going to feel the repercussions of all that. One of the guys that I was reading this week said this, Will abortion, under the euphemism of family planning, Which is, all this is being pushed right now. And Sunday morning, by the way, is definitely not the time to talk about some of these things specifically. But just so you know, as one of the pastors, our staff is vastly aware of this stuff. Trust me. We get the tweets and the texts and... Guys, this is infiltrating the church. That's the scary part. That's that's why we're having these discussions the last few weeks. Because there are churches who, instead of reading God's Word and figuring out and navigating, which that's the hard part, it's really easy to fall into this camp or that camp, because that makes it easy. But to use our God-given brains and navigate logically and through God's Word to come to a conclusion, that's a little more difficult. But there are churches that are making... Decisions about the future on some of these issues that are not biblical decisions. Scary. It's so scary. Things like abortion. If it's going to be funded overseas by American taxpayers, or will U.S. foreign policy value the life of the unborn, one person wrote. So again, as American believers, by exercising our right to vote, we can potentially impact how that affects the world. Not just America, but the world. So we can't sit on the sidelines. And equally, we can go over the top to where that's all we talk about. And people on social media think we're running for office. By the way, how was that chowder, chowder, say it louder? Okay, just, just wanted to throw in a little political thing there. We'll find out how we did in a minute. So, say, Pastor, how do we respond? How do we respond? I wrote down three simple... Simple said, but harder to do things. Here's the first one. And I think I shared this in a, in a message a few months back. Be slow to speak and quick to pray. One guy I read said this. If the Apostle James were writing in 2020, he might have considered adding social posting in parentheses to James 119. Instead of rushing to social media to rage out about all the social injustice and police reform and injustice and mail-in ballots or whatever the issue is, what if we first turn to asking the God of the universe to intervene? And i got to be honest. Folks, I've been convicted. I I mean, I've shared this with you a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm asking our church, not that we aren't a people of prayer, but to really become more of a people of prayer. I don't know what that looks like. I, I, I do know that it's more than just praying a prayer on Sunday morning. It's us and our families. I need to do a better job at home. That's one of my weakest areas of my spiritual life and all the disciplines of spiritual life. I love reading God's Word. I love hanging out. I love fellowship. I love worship. I love the music. I love all that. My weakest area, I'm going on record with you, hold me accountable, is praying. I'm good at doing my part, I'm not so good at asking God to do His part. And the reality is, if God does His part, He really don't need me to do much of anything. So I've got to learn to be slow to speak, slow to post, slow to like, slow to share some of the things that don't need to be shared. And instead, I've got to be quick to pray. So that's one thing I wrote down. The second one is this. I've got to be more certain of my failures than the failures of other people. I think there's a passage in the Bible that talks about a speck in your eye or something like that, or maybe it was a log or a canoe or something. I think in our culture in, what, in which we live, it's, there's this constant temptation to uh, put the spotlight on the absolute worst of somebody else and overlook the fact that I've got a lot of maturing to do. I've got a lot of things in my own life that I need to look at. I don't think it will ever happen in my lifetime. When I've watched, even the last year, to some of the debates that were going on, I'd sit there and watch, and while it's playing on TV, I would be playing another movie in my brain. And it would be like, when one person said something offensive, the other candidate goes, well, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I actually like what you're wearing today. You look great. And some of the things that you've said have actually been valid. And then the other candidate, well, well, thank you. You're exactly right. Maybe we could work through this system together and bring change to our world. And then I wake up and realize it was just in my head. It wasn't for real. <laughs> but wouldn't it be awesome? I think it would be if we realized our own personal failures and, and, and really thought about those a little bit more than, than other people. And here's the third thing. That I just jotted down. The first one, be slow to slow to post, quick to pray. Be more certain of your failures than other people's. And the last one is probably the most important, I guess. Be certain of Jesus. Because I've fallen into all those temptations that I'm mentioning. In places where I've started to place a lot of certainty in a, in a candidate or a political party or ideology. And I think, you know why I do that? I told you I'd be honest and transparent because I lack a robust certainty in who Jesus is. So I start freaking out. Oh God, this, this person didn't get elected. This per- oh God, aren't you worried? Aren't you concerned? It reveals to my heart how big I think my God is. I am really concerned that a presidential candidate is going to jar and rock the kingdom of God like God's on his throne and that's going to just cause him to just start freaking out and worrying? Really? That's how big my God is? My certainty needs to be a little more sure. Because God is in charge. And if the people who have been elected, whether I like them or not, are in their position, for whatever reason, and sometimes I don't know the reason, and I'm going, God, is there a reason? (laughs) Maybe the reason right now, the people that are in charge, are in charge, is to wake the church up. Maybe the years that we have occasionally over, you know, I remember all, the, I remember Carter and Reagan and Ford and, you know, some of you remember way back before that. And I remember every political environment where things changed, you know, depending on who I was talking to, they were happy, then they were sad for four years, and they were happy, then, they, I mean, it was like a roller coaster. Ride. I, I, I don't want to live that way. I don't want my kids to live that way. I want them to have the sure foundation in Jesus. I don't want them to bury their head in the sand and ignore what's going on. So again, it's, it's Scripture is teaching us there's a balanced approach. How do we get through it? We stand on the promises of God. Well, we just sung it. That's how we get through it. We stand on the promises of God. And we get involved. So I think... We should, again, be balanced. I think we should get involved. I think we should get involved in our local government, state government. We should be praying for our leaders. We should ask God, okay, Lord, here's where we are right now today. How are we supposed to navigate this? How are we supposed to get through this? What are you trying to teach us? That's been the number one question on my uh, prayer list for the last 15 months during COVID. What are you trying to teach us? Because I don't want to learn this lesson a second time. I don't want to come out on the other side of this having learned what God wanted us to learn. I remember somewhere in the, in the Bible stories about many, many plagues. Many, many plagues. This has been one, and I would like to say, Done. I have learned, God. Please don't send more. So when it comes to politics, I think God's word is showing us we have to have a balanced approach, we have to be engaged, not stick our head in the sand. But not put our eggs in the basket that if our elected officials don't come through, we're doomed. Because Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And he's in charge. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are in charge. Help us to figure this out. God, I do not have all the answers. I know you have the answers to how we navigate in our crazy world. There are things in the midst of our leadership in our country, even today, even this weekend, things, bills, acts trying to be passed that sound really good in title. And if you dig through what's being pushed, it's things that are totally contrary to your word. How in the world do we navigate through that? Would you please show us? I I pray out of our church that you would raise up Esther's, and Daniels and Josephs that would be involved in the work of government not to have a job, not to be a politician, but to be the light of Jesus Christ in a world that desperately needs the voice of truth. Lord, thank you for these friends tonight. Thank you for the privilege to look briefly at your word. Thank you for the time of fellowship While you're sitting there at your chair at your table, would you just spend a couple minutes and would you lift up our country? Would you lift up our leaders? Would you pray that somehow the Holy Spirit of God would intervene in their life and in their work and in their policies Would you pray for our church to be the city on a hill, to be a light in this community, to speak truth and love? Would you pray for us to be unashamed with what the truth of God's word has to say? Lord, I thank you for this church family. What a tremendous blessing it is to get to serve you together here. And Lord, as David said, some trust in chariots, some trust in kings, but we put our trust in the Lord our God. Thank you that we can do that confident, confidently and have the assurance that when we stand on your promises, you'll come through. Pray for us this week. Give us an opportunity to be the light of Jesus, the people that we come in contact with. And we'll give you the glory for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you. We have, uh, you want to announce it? No, okay. We're going to give our grand total for the soup. Chowder, chowder, say it louder. Was that the winner? We'll find out. Oh, maybe, maybe. Is there a grand? Oh, there is a grand total. There is. Awesome. So let's see here. First place... First place, I'm not sure which one this is because there was a couple in there. First place was chicken corn chowder. Was that, was that, was that the pastor wife corn chowder? I'm not sure, was it? All right, maybe. First place, all right. Somebody loaded that, loaded that jar down. Very good. Second place was our taco taco soup. Taco taco soup. Woo, awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you. Uh, third place, salmon stew. Salmon stew. All right, all right. And let's see here. The white chicken chili, grilled chicken vegetable medley, sausage and spinach tortellini, clam chowder. No wonder I'm hurting. We had too much soup. Wow. Vegetable soup and the white chicken chili number two all received an honorable mention because we raised over $600, $601 for missions tonight. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Awesome. 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 Thank you all for coming out. You are welcome to... Hang out in fellowship if you want, because I know we don't get to do this much. I hope you have an awesome week. Don't forget, next Saturday night, you get, is it you get an extra hour, or we lose an extra <sighs> So, Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock, go ahead and just move it up. Just go ahead and move it up. And we'll see you next week, if not before, all right? God bless you guys.